I got a little surprised during the children's message. Little Sarah decided I needed a cross in addition to my tie today. She also let me know that she'd be playing with her silly putty during my message. So if you need a little extra entertainment, Sarah's right over here. Yeah. Well, Easter is a day of celebration and joy, and it kind of begs a question. So how you doing on that joy thing? How's the joy factor in your life? Doing okay? You know? And when you think about it, what gives you joy? I mean, where do you look for joy? Not just when things are good, but when things maybe are a little tough. Now, one of the things that's true in life is some people seem to come by this joy thing just way too easily. Uh, take this little guy named Ethan. What is up with that? Let me let me check this out. Not working. Not happening. <laughs> if it were only that easy. Oh my goodness. Do you know there are few things sweeter on this side of heaven than the laughter and joy of a child and, and a family having fun. But we also know that life happens and things won't always be a barrel of laughs where Ethan lives, right? Uh, made me think of uh, uh, this uh, wonderful Christian author who was a very gifted speaker. His name was Charles Shedd. And early in his career, he used to go around giving this talk called The Ten Commandments of Raising a Perfect Child. Then he and his wife actually had a child, and, and he changed it to Ten Hints for Parents. <laughs> then they had a second child, and he changed it to A Few Tentative Suggestions for Fellow Strugglers. Then they had a third child. He stopped giving the talk altogether. Yeah, I'll pray for you is about all he had to say. You know, every season, every stage of life, every endeavor we undertake comes with highs and lows, right? With peaks and valleys, with gains and losses. And when, when things are going good, you know, relationships are healthy, work is fulfilling, basic needs and maybe a little more are met, easy to stay on the joy train. It's when times get hard and things get tough that we might start to question and wonder, you know, what is up, God? What could you possibly have in mind? You might even wonder, man, where am I putting my hopes? What is the basis and foundation of my joy for life? No matter what. Today we celebrate a reality that has been the lasting bedrock of human hope and joy. As one pastor put it, you know, people haven't gathered for the past 2,000 years to say, the stock market is risen. It is risen indeed. See, got nothing. The one hope and boundless source of joy that has captivated and gathered people across every continent and every culture for two millennium, whatever heartaches, or hardships the human family has had to endure has been this. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. 
Now why is it so compelling that Christ, the one they call Jesus, is risen? Well, it's because we believe not only is he God's son, but he became one of us. He knows our suffering and our sorrows. He has shared our brokenness and pain. Before the joy of Easter, he felt the full sting of betrayal, of abandonment, even the shame and humiliation and pain of the cross. But as the scriptures say in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, for the sake of the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus knew on the other side of his heartache, his sorrow, his suffering, bearing the full measure and full weight of our brokenness and our sin would be a joy. The joy of breaking open the light and hope of heaven for every human heart. The joy of knowing that at last the world will see that God is a God of love. And God calls us to become a community inspired by his love and caring for every child of this earth. And because Jesus lives, he was able to lead his closest followers and friends from their broken dreams to this unconquerable and unstoppable joy. There was Mary Magdalene. He had healed her and released her from oppressive spirits. Who knows what their names were? Depression? Despair? Abuse? We don't know, but he set her free. She loved him like no other. It was likely her that wept at his feet and poured ointment at his feet. She loved him. And on Easter Day, even after she had seen the angels, what do we discover in the Gospel of John? She has gone back, back to the garden, back to the area where his body had been laid, and she just is bowed down weeping in grief and anguish over her heartache and her loss and this hope she can barely cling to. And what happens? He comes to her. He appears to her. She can't recognize him in her grief. But he leads her through his power and presence. He leads her through her grief, through her loss, to the joy of knowing he lives. And tears of sorrow and hope against hope become tears of overflowing joy. And she races back, (laughs) races back to the upper room, not just to say, I saw two angels and they said, surprise. No, she races back to say, he lives and I have seen him. And when did she recognize him? When he said her name the way only he could say it. Then we see another amazing story. This is in Luke chapter 24. Two of Jesus' friends, uh, one is named Cleopas, probably his wife Mary. We don't know. But they've just given up. They've left. Tails between their legs. They're leaving town. Even after they've heard what the women have said, the witness that the tomb is empty, uh, they're leaving town. They're hiking, you know, 7K to Emmaus, dragging their feet and their hearts in the dust. 
you know, in a cloud of just dashed and disappointed hopes. And Jesus, the risen Lord, appears, comes up alongside them. And they let him know, man, we had hoped Jesus was going to be the anointed one, God's son. We thought he would be the one to bring salvation to the world. And it's over. And Jesus is like, what, what are you guys talking about? Isn't it all there in God's word? Aren't the promises all there? Didn't you see them fulfilled before your eyes? And, and he stays for dinner with them. And then it's when he breaks the bread and gives thanks to God, their eyes open. What happened at the Last Supper? It's just what he always did. And they recognized him. And, and he was gone. And they're just, oh, he lives. We've seen him. Didn't your heart burn? Didn't your heart burn when he just broke the bread and spoke? And man, they did the fastest 7K back to Jerusalem the world has ever seen. Back up into that upper room. And now it's not just some angels uh, said he lives and the tomb is empty. It's we've seen him. We've seen him. And while they're talking, he appears again. Surprise! Which is Aramaic for peace be with you. And now he comes to his disciples, to the eleven in that close inner circle of his closest friends. And they're locked behind closed doors just as surely as that tomb. What? In a cloud of fear and doubt. They're fearful for their own lives, too afraid to show their faces in town, right? And they're full of doubt. In fact, Thomas, what? I won't believe until I see the, the scars in his hands inside. And Jesus just shows up. Peace, it's me. It's true. What do I have to do for you guys? And he leads them through their doubt and through their fear to a joy that this world has not been able to stop for 2,000 years. And it's a joy that breaks out in such scale that just within days, uh, the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 13 that the risen Lord, uh, on one occasion, would be seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. This is a pretty good cloud of witnesses. If you lived then and there at that time, you could have talked to 500 people who had seen the risen Lord. And that joy continues to span this globe and to touch and change hearts to this day. And isn't that the issue? How, how, how do we break out of our, out of our clouds of, of loss and grief, of, of disappointed hopes and discouragement, of, of our doubts and fears about life and what's going to unfold in the future. Well, I don't know if you read this in the Oregonian yesterday. It can happen. No matter what you face. There's a story on the front page of the Oregonian about a young kid, 11 years old, named Jacob Alban. The, the headline, Kids First, Cancer Second. A Portland boy battling leukemia collects toys for other young patients. Let me read just a portion of it. Jacob Alman used to be a fairly typical nine-year-old kid living in northeast Portland. He enjoyed shooting hoops after school, playing video games with friends, hopping on ATVs with his family on weekends. But in summer 2008, he got sick. Persistent lesions appeared on his head. After that, his ribs throbbed. Then sharp pain flashed through his collarbones. At the end of October, often numerous trips to the doctor, he was admitted to Legacy Emanuel Children's Hospital with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. 
In the year and a half since then, Jacob has been in and out of the hospital. He's been poked and prodded and pumped up with a cocktail of drugs. He still has a tube in his chest for medication and takes a fistful of pills every night for his chemotherapy treatment that will last at least two more years. Wow. And yet, what is the focus of this kid's life? Is it shooting hoops and video games and riding ATVs? Mm -mm, Not anymore. I hope that's still a part of his life, but that's not the focus. His focus is no, no longer centers on his own pains or even his own world. Instead, Jacob is trying to ease the plight of other kids who end up in the cancer ward. He's amazing, says his mother. And this is what Jacob says. He's 11 now. Get it? He's 11, but he's a seasoned veteran. Mom, it's just not fair that these kids are so young and have to face so much. Somebody's got to do something for them. So he's rallying high schools across the Portland metro area, right, to to put on toy drives so that every child who faces the kind of challenge he faces has a cause to know they're loved, they're remembered, they're thought of, they're prayed for, cause to have joy. Now, how do you turn a heart around like that? Stunning. And let's face it, it's not easy to get over ourselves. It's not easy to get past ourselves. Imagine if you were the one with lymphoplastic leukemia. It's just not easy. Each and every one of us, every day, we face uh, our own set of demands and pressures, our own set of stresses and struggles. There are so many broken, heart, uh, broken heart, hearts broken by loss and, and lives broken by sin and hopes broken by disappointment and dreams broken by circumstances out of our control. How do we in the midst of all that, breaks through to a joy that even has a heart for others. Well, let me tell you this. This is just a, a cool story. Uh, there was an engineer about a century ago who worked with General Electric. His name was Charles Steinmetz. This guy was actually a pioneer in uh, developing electrical car technology in the 1920s. I think GE still has his stuff locked up somewhere. What's up with that? Anyway... He was a genius, and he knew every detail of every part of every machine GE operated in those days. And when he retired, they were sometimes clueless about what to do when things broke down. And one day it happened. They couldn't fix one of their machines, and so they had to call him in as a consultant. So he looked at the machine for about five minutes. Then he took out a piece of chalk, and he marked an X on the defective part so that they could replace it, and he went home. Well, about five days later, they got a bill from Charles Steinmetz. Now, remember, this is the early 1900s for $10,000. That was a lot of money back then. You know, we're talking pre-stimulus package dollars here. Well, they said, before we pay you, we'd like you to itemize that bill, and they thought they had him. Well, he wasn't flustered. A few days later, he sent them back a bill with two items, making a chalk mark, $1, knowing where to make it, $9,999. Go, Charles! So then the question comes, who do we call when our life breaks? Who do we call when our heart breaks, when we realize we're the part that's broken. We have someone to call. His name is Jesus. He is deeply and profoundly acquainted with every foible and flaw 
hurt and loss and pain we could ever know or experience. And He lives and has power to mark the spot and to make the change and to give us joy even and every step of the way. You know, who do you call when life breaks down? When a marriage falls apart? When you mess up as a parent? When you violate your values? When you lose a job or fail in a business venture? Who do you call when you get hooked and addicted by something you never imagined possible and it ends in utter humiliation? Who do you call when you're afraid to face the truth about yourself or a situation in your life? Here's the reality. Jesus sacrificed everything. Considered you priceless and paid the full price for your brokenness and sin for all of us so we could experience the joy of knowing God, the gift of life with God, the living God present in our hearts, the full assurance of God at our side, of God as our guide. Think of it. Through Jesus... God lived in our skin. God felt the weight of our fears. God knows the depth of our hurt. He has felt the sting of our heartaches and tears. He knows how hard life can be. And He also knows how good and rich, how joyful and fulfilling life can be, come what may. Well, This Easter, I want to introduce you to someone who is a living picture of this Easter reality and promise. His name is Patrick Henry Hughes. If you've never met him before, meet Patrick. The piece is titled Claire de Lune, Light of the Moon. In the darkness of his eyes and through the sweetness of his hands, when Patrick Hughes plays, it is the music of possibility and the sound of promise. How would you describe your disabilities? Not disabilities at all, more abilities. Abilities everybody hears and sees at every Louisville football game. To understand how Patrick Hughes and his father became a two-person member of the Cardinal Marching Band, go back to when the music began. without eyes and with a tightening of the joints that prevents his limbs from ever straightening Patrick has been blind and crippled from birth there's just countless the number of dreams that that die and my wife and I were devastated we just asked why us we played by all the rules we worked hard we just didn't understand that heartbreak began to fade even before Patrick's first birthday from his first moments at the family's piano in Louisville, Kentucky. You could go up and, and hit a note no matter where it was on the, on the piano and within a, one or two tries he would find that exact note. By his second birthday, he was playing requests. Can you play You Are My Sunshine? Play Twinkle? I was just ecstatic that, you know, okay, we're not going to play baseball. 
but we're going to play music together. And that was, that was really exciting. Let's see how far we can run with this. Fitted with artificial eyes and placed in a wheelchair, as Patrick grew, so did his passion and his talent. He played old standards by grade school and blues numbers by high school. By the time he arrived at the University of Louisville this year, his musical ability on piano as well as trumpet was well known throughout the city. I said, Patrick, you need to be a part of the marching band. <laughs> and their reaction was um, just a little bit of a pause. My dad and I are hearing this and we're like, uh, right. I mean, how in the heck am I supposed to march? The next step was working out what we needed to make happen in order for Patrick to be involved in the marching band, other than just parking on the sidelines and playing his instrument. I said, well, if Dr. Burns that impassioned about it and Patrick wants to do it, then by golly, I'll give it my all as well. So it was decided Patrick would play and Dad would push. As part of the 214-member Louisville Marching Band, a blind and wheelchair-bound trumpet player and his able-bodied father do it all together. From the pre-game drill practice to the march around the stadium to the halftime performance in front of thousands. Dad rolls and rotates his son across the field in mostly perfect formation. He'll sometimes end up pushing me a little quicker than normal, so that pretty much means, hey, must have done something wrong, so he, he's got to hurry up to get me to the right spot. Yep. Spin. In order to be at every band practice, I'm too slow on the spin. And to sit beside his son in every class. Question? Yes. How do you come up with all the... Patrick's father works the graveyard shift for UPS. How would you describe a work day for your dad? Poor thing. Uh, he goes to work about 11 o'clock at night, Monday through Thursday nights, and then gets in at about 6 and, and goes to bed at about 6 and sleeps till around 11. By the time Patrick moves from his bed into his wheelchair each morning, Dad is ready to begin their day together. He's, he's my hero. I've told him before. Uh, what he goes through, it's taught me that I don't really have any complaints. I guess a father couldn't ask for, for any more than, than the relationship that I have with Patrick. God made me blind and unable to walk. Big deal. He gave me the ability to the musical gifts I have and the great opportunity to meet new people. That's your fans, buddy. Maybe when they hear him play, they recognize, wow, you know, imagine the possibilities I didn't even consider when I saw this young man that I now know from hearing him play. So whether it be on a field playing the Louisville fight song or at the piano playing Claire de Lune, in a sense, the melody is the same. Patrick Hughes plays so that we might hear the music of opportunity and the sound of potential. What an extraordinary story. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of Easter. Do you realize 
Eric will never, or Patrick, will never see his father on this side of heaven. The father who is with him every day, who is his leader and guide, the one who challenges him and cheers him on, the one who is always with him and for him, he will never see him on this side of heaven. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Life can devastate us. Dreams, some dreams can die. But because he lives, we can experience a hope and a joy that no one and nothing can take away from us. Jesus himself said it the night before he died on a cross. He said, you will grieve now, but joy will come in the morning. Just like a woman goes through the anguish of labor and breaks through to the joy of giving birth to new life, so you will grieve for a time, but I will come to you and I will give you a joy that no one and nothing on this world can take away. I gave you all, or made sure you all received, a little mint. Take that out now. Do you, do you see what's on the package? Yes. What do you see on the package? Promises. Scripture. Mine says, bless the Lord, O my soul. This is literally the opportunity of Easter for us to wrap our lives in the promises of God. The promises that Jesus made true and a reality for us. The promises we can know are meant for us. And then what's on the inside? A mint. And everyone will be glad around you if you actually eat this mint today. But here's the thing. I do not want you to leave this church today and say, I went to Easter worship and all I got was a mint. Each and every one of us has an opportunity, right, to welcome the Savior who gave his life on a cross for us and who rose again and who lives. Welcome him into our hearts and go from this place with his hope, with his faith, with his joy pumping inside us. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus, your Son. Thank you that he loved us so much, he was willing to give his life for us on a cross and win for us the full measure of your grace and forgiveness and the full hope and joy of life with you now, life with you forever. Loving God, we welcome the risen Savior, into our hearts by faith today, trusting that he comes to be with us, to lead us and to guide us, and to make possible for us a joy that nothing and no one in this world can take away. If you have never said this prayer before, I I just pray you say this prayer and welcome the Lord into your heart. Let him be the leader and light of your life. And you too will know a joy that can never be taken away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.